All right, good morning, you are. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, welcome to Bucare Baptist Church. And happy Mother's Day. It's all the mothers out there. Happy you know, Mother's Day. My wife is uh, hardcore mothering at this exact moment, so uh, congratulations to everybody. Um, I also wanted to announce a couple other announcements. Where's AJ at? Okay, well, he, he has an announcement if we can call him downstairs. Uh, I want to say a couple things about the convention coming up. So I, I know I've been talking about it since January, and I told you it was going to come up quickly, and it has. Uh, so we have the Southern Baptist Convention happening in June. Uh, we need volunteers. So we need about 600 volunteers, uh, not all from our church, just from various <laughs> Southern Baptist churches around town. Um, but if you want to volunteer for the convention, you go to sbcannualmeeting.org. Also, uh, we need to register our messengers. So we're a small church, uh, but we every church gets at least two messengers. So we have two people that we're going to be able to send as voters. I will say, uh, and so I, we're calling a meeting after church next week where we're going to vote on who's going to be a messenger. We have some folks who are interested. Some folks like Susanna uh, can get class credit and stuff like that. But we'll talk about all the reasons why, and then we'll be sure to send two folks. Um, we're not going to go through everything you're going to vote on. I would just say vote your conscience if you're voting for us, right? Um, so we're going to send two messengers. So even if you are not a messenger, I want to be sure to say that you can still go just as an attendee. I forget, um, they call them guests, I mean. So you can go as a guest and just see everything that goes on. If you've ever been curious, what happens at the SBC annual meeting? Frankly, I love them. Uh, I, Annie and I have had the privilege to go the past three years, and it has been really just uh, an exciting look into everything that God's doing, just like broad spectrum throughout the country. So I leave encouraged, honestly, uh, every year. And also, there's always controversy. It's always interesting, so you can, you can go and enjoy that. Wait, no matter what you enjoy, there's something for you at the SBC annually. Uh, more than just attending, though, again, we need, like, greeters uh, ushers, things like that, people who take votes up from the floor and go count them. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to volunteer, sbcannualmeeting.org. Um, last thing I'm going to say about the annual meeting. We, so our church is participating twofold in something called Serve Tour, um, where on, uh, especially on Saturday, so we are going to open the church up, top, uh, upstairs and downstairs for kids. So we've opened up registration for about 20 kids total. Uh, foster kids to come and stay at the church. We are going to hook the parents up with um, some Visa gift cards and send them out for lunch in the quarter in downtown. Um, and so if you want to be a part of that, you can volunteer, you can help coordinate, you can help plan, you can help us set up the couple days beforehand. There's lots of ways to be involved. So just come talk to me about that and we'll get you, uh, get you set up for that. Is AJ back yet? Yes. Yes. AJ! AJ has an announcement. Come quickly. Oh, he's shaking his head. All right, his birthday is canceled. We are not doing anything for his birthday this year. Now it's going to get Birthday's good. No, it's AJ's birthday this week. Um, and it was Jake's birthday last week, so I just want to say happy birthday to the shy eight-year-old. And Renis. And Renis, wow. And Winter is last Saturday. Oh, wow. Sorry, last Saturday. Yeah, happy birthday to everybody. Um, okay. I think that is it. Does anybody else have any other announcements? I know we got a ton of people out sick today. We've got others who are traveling. Um, we can pray for them as well. Yeah, we can also uh, welcome our guests that are from out of town. That are here today. 
Amen. All right, let me pray first and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for today. Um, God, for all the reasons we have to celebrate, Lord, for all the things that we're looking forward to, that we're planning. God, for the things that have passed. Um, God, some of us today, I know Mother's Day is not a happy occasion for everyone. Um, and so we pray just in thinking of folks who this is a cause for mourning, God. Um, Lord, in and through all of this, we just ask you to be with us, Lord, that you would richly dwell with us um, in our families, Lord, as we think about our moms and families throughout the, the country today. God, and as we prepare for the convention in our churches uh, throughout the nation, Lord, that you would dwell richly in us, Lord, that uh, we would walk away from this convention focused on you and all the work that you're doing uh, in and through the body of Christ in the United States today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, because we know you hear us. Amen. Turkish delight. And no Turkish delight today. Um, today is Ascension Sunday, and uh, I know I, I, I meant to ask Meg if she could sing her little spiel that she always does before liturgy, but uh, just the thought this morning um, the importance of Ascension uh, Sunday. Um, just two simple thoughts. Um, we needed him to go to go prepare a place for us. But we also needed him to go so we could receive the Spirit. Um, and those are two um, vitally important um, aspects of our faith, especially the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, um, we, we wouldn't be here. It's the completion of the Trinity and the, the third part of uh, we got the Father, then we had the Son, and now we have the Spirit. Um, with us, and it's the continuation of the legacy and, and the working of uh, God making his creation new, making all things new, and we're a part of that. Um, so this morning, uh, we start with Psalm 47. Okay, I don't have it in order on the sheet, it's just there. So, Alex, please. Good morning, church. Morning. Good morning. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a loud solemn joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued people under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, <coughs> whom he loves. For God, God is God the King, King of all, all the earth. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praise to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is king of all the earth, sing praises with a song. For God is king of all the 
God is king over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. The princesses of the peoples gather as people of the, of the God of Abraham. For the shield of the earth belongs to God. He is highly exalted. For God, God is the king, king of all the earth. Good morning, church. Good morning. We're from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. But for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks to you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the workings of his great power? God put his power to work in Christ and raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rules and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all things for the church, which is his body fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Amen. This is from uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, verses 44 through 53. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you, sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Please pray with us. Lizards and Name of all things, you have been lifted above all creation, seated at the right hand of God. That you call mere worlds to share in your glory, to bear your image upon the earth, do the work of your great God. We are on today with rebellious subjects, clinging to our false sense of control, refusing to yield to the ruler of all, to sacrifice all for us. Forgive us our petty rebellions, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may come to know and live out the hope of the spiritual heart. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. God put his great power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcomed, you are loved. Precious love, your sins promise the gift of holy power. Send your spirit of revelation and wisdom, that in the blessed freedom of hope, you may witness the grace of forgiveness, and sing songs of the joy of the peoples of earth, 
phases One day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin Dwells among men, my example is me Word became flesh and the light shined among us His glory
Again, everybody, please go with me to the book of Matthew, and we're going to start in chapter 5 this morning. We have been in a series through the book of Matthew for several weeks now, and I am 
reminded this week especially, every time I think I have a handle on what Christianity is, what it teaches, every time I think I'm right and I've pretty much well figured it out, all I have to do is read the teachings of Jesus. And I stand in awe at the wisdom, passion, and casual authority of our Lord. Every time I read through the Gospels, I am stretched, I am convicted, and my life feels very small next to the towering life of Christ. Last week, we saw how Jesus left his throne and came out into the desert of our own wandering and our temptation to save us, not just in some purely spiritual sense, but in every sense. He's not just the new and better Moses in giving and fulfilling the law, but Jesus is the new and better you and me, offering us life, real life in him. We are slaves to sin, and God is bringing us up from every slavery into which we've fallen, and we are free in him. Up until now, we've heard a lot from Matthew about Jesus, but the passage today is really a turning point in the book. Uh, Charles Dickens starts his autobiography with the words, Whether or not I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these passages must show. And in this chapter of Matthew, the author is going to step back from his own narrative, step back from telling his own tale, and he's going to introduce to us Christ himself, who is decidedly the hero of Matthew's story. And I hope the hero of each and every one of our stories as well. Uh, so let's read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through 20. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do, Lord, that no matter what words I speak, Lord, that what you administer to people's hearts and minds today, God, is your truth and your word today. Because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately long to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. This passage is usually called the Sermon on the Mount, and every word of it is dripping with meaning. Before you really get into the context, or to the contents of this sermon, I want you to notice three things about the context of it. I want you to notice where Jesus is, I want you to remember how he got there. Um, notice who's there, and notice the build-up to this. So I talked a lot last week about the where. He's... He's sitting on a mountain, giving the sermon. Having come up from Egypt across the sea, out into the desert to be tempted, Jesus is reliving the story of the people of God throughout the Exodus narrative. When God brought them up out of slavery in Egypt and gave them the law, which influenced and formed every aspect of that society. The law was given by Moses on the mountain. And here Christ sits, which is a sign of authority in this culture. He sits on the mountain and gives a new law, one which he says fulfills the law of Moses in every way. 
fulfills it but doesn't abolish it. We'll talk more about that next week. In this, Matthew shows us that Jesus is the new and better Moses, whose law can not only guide our lives today, but also set us free in every way we so desperately long to be free. As for who's there, to say it simply, everyone. Everyone is there. <laughs> uh, if you look back at chapter 4, it says large crowds had come from Judea, all parts of Judea, because Jesus had been miraculously healing people any and every disease, and Matthew uses the word famous. John the Baptist in chapter 4 is arrested because he had gained a large following because he was speaking against the king, and they arrested John, but not before John had told all of his followers to follow Jesus. That's where many of the apostles come from. And now the word has gone from town to town that Jesus, not only is he drawing large crowds with his teaching, but he is a miracle worker. Everyone had come to the mountain, even from Jerusalem, because of what he was able to do. And here in verse 1, he finally opens his mouth to say something. And I said I wanted you to notice the build. Both Mark and Matthew rushed through the early part of their gospel narrative. Um, and then here in Matthew, in chapter 5, the pace of the narrative grinds to a halt. Matthew's going to spend the next three chapters talking about this one sermon. It's like when you frantically pack for a trip and then you get through the interstates of the airport and then you're finally standing at the place that you meant to be, looking out over the ocean or over the valley, and you stand there perfectly still because this is what all the rest of it was about. Matthew says, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. This first section of the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and as with famous people, sometimes with famous passages, we don't really know them as they really are. We know so much about them, and we've heard so much about them, but I want you to try to place yourself there in the crowd that day so you can hear these verses for the first time, just as all of them would have heard the sermon for the first time that day. Again, all of Judea was there in the wilderness on the side of a mountain. I wonder how long it had taken everyone to get there. Some of the cities listed in this list of cities of people who were there, some of them are days apart, so no matter where this actually was, there were at least a few folks who had traveled several days to get there. So in a crowd of people, imagine some pack animals are just packs with provisions for the journey. Some people would have slept there or nearby without baths after traveling. So there would have been that lovely smell and noise, like on the subway or on the streetcar lines, you know, just a, a, the smell of too many people in too hot a place. <laughs> Having both Galilee and Jerusalem present means poor folks with rich folks alike sitting next to each other on the ground. Country folks and city folks. Those who voted for Herod, those who hated his guts, and those who were praying desperately for his downfall. Since Jesus' reputation is a miracle worker, miraculous healer specifically, you have to know there are many in the crowd who were sick or injured, together with the people who had brought them there because they had tried everything else and nothing had worked, and they were desperate. Guaranteed, there were at least a couple of people acting a fool just to get attention, because in every crowd I've ever been in, there's always one person at least acting a fool just to get attention. I just want you to get in, in the middle of it, right? Get in the mindset. Place yourself there. See what they're seeing. The hopeful in the morning mixed all together and, and waiting on the side of the mountain to see just to see if maybe the world might change. Then Jesus walks up and sits down, and the first words out of his mouth are, Blessed are the poor, 
which you have to think no one was expecting him to say. Whatever it was they were expecting him to say, it wasn't this. I was, t- I was talking the, the passage over with my wife, Annalise, on, on Thursday. And she asked me what really jumped out to me about the passage. I told her that what makes the Beatitudes so fascinating to me, so interesting, gives it such a depth of meaning, is that at first glance, nothing that Jesus says is true. At least in this world. It's all upside down. It's completely the opposite of what we know about the world. Blessed are the poor, he says. That's not true. Not in this world. Jesus knew that better than most. He grew up poor. He lived as a refugee. I've heard pastors try to massage this this message. You know, it doesn't mean the poor. Maybe it means the poor in spirit. And that's kind of a more of a humility thing, which is a different thing. But it's not what Luke says. Luke, when he begins his passage on the Sermon on the Mount, he leaves off the in spirit. And he just says, blessed are the poor, as Jesus' first words. So what he's saying is, and we'll come back to the in-spirit part, but what he's saying is, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, and none of that in this world is true. It doesn't matter what city you're in, what society, being poor is not blessed. You need to let this statement offend you a little bit if you're going to understand it well. The word blessed means happy, thriving. Let's imagine this. If you, let's say you start a nonprofit. New Orleans is the land of nonprofits, right? You start a nonprofit called Thrive or Happiness, and your mission statement is we exist to plunge our neighbors into poverty and mourning. Gail Benson probably ain't gonna give you any money for that. <laughs> you know, Drew Brees is not gonna do your commercial for that mission statement. Um, and not because they don't get it, man, but because poverty doesn't help people or communities thrive. Most of the nonprofits in New Orleans are meant to lift people up out of generational poverty. I know sometimes we have a, ro- a way of romanticizing poverty, but people who have lived it know better. I know one guy who grew up rich who moved into a poor neighborhood in New Orleans, and one night with a group of his neighbors, he was feeling sentimental, and he told them, man, I would not want to live anywhere in the world but right here in this neighborhood. And all his neighbors thought he was nuts. Every last one of them told him, we want to live in Slidell. And for all the same reasons, everyone else wants to move to the North Shore, mainly to give their kids a better life than they had had growing up exactly where they were. When I think about my children, one of my deepest desires in life for them is to thrive. And when I think about finding ways to help them thrive in the world, my mind almost never goes to poverty, mourning, hunger, and thirst. I don't think, how about we let my child witness gun violence before the age of 12, as the majority of people living in poverty in our city do? or live in a single-parent household, or go to schools like the one that I taught at when I first started my professional career, with drugs in the hallways and fights every day and only about a third of the students ever actually landing in class. I don't think to myself, I know how to help my kids thrive. Let's not feed them on the weekends or in the evenings. Let's try to get him to high school still not knowing how to read like a dozen or so of my students did. That's not my 10-year plan, y'all. I'll admit to you. Opposite. I work two jobs to give my wife and kids what they need, a safe place to live, good food to eat, and we did a whole lot to make sure that our son, this mainly my wife did this, made sure our son landed in a good school. A lot of our friends with kids moved to North Shore, and I used to look down on people for doing that, and then I went to visit them. And I watched their two little girls ride on their bikes on the street without any supervision to the neighborhood pool, without anyone going with them. 
And that was the last time I ever looked down on anyone moving out of the city. But this morning, as Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says. Yet I don't see anyone losing a loved one or failing in your career, failing in your personal life, and posting the story on Insta with hashtag blessed, right? If I die and Annalise posts about it with hashtag blessed, I am coming back. <laughs> um, blessed are the meek, Jesus says, meaning the gentle people, the ones who in the world get taken advantage of, who don't get the promotion because they prioritize their family instead. The ones who fill in where they're needed and quietly and humbly serve. Jesus says they are the blessed ones. They are the thriving ones. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They are the happy ones, he says. I know it's the Bible, and I know it's Jesus speaking, but you have to let it shock you first. You have to let it offend you before you can understand what he's actually saying. I think about Jesus saying these things one after another, and I think about the crowd, how uncomfortable this message would have been for them, for everyone involved. For the poor man sitting next to the rich man with his beautiful family, and they're both thinking, which one of us is thriving? Which one of us has made the right choices? Which, which one of us is blessed by God? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst. A lot of times we try to make sense of these passages by asking, in what way? In what way are the poor thriving? Can we find a way in which we can say that the poor are actually thriving more than the rich? In what way are the mourning happy? But I, I think that's actually the wrong question. We misinterpret this passage when we try to find ways in which the poor and the hungry and the persecuted in this life have some sort of superiority over others in this life. As Paul writes elsewhere, if Christ is not raised, we are most of anyone to be pitied. Instead of asking in what way, I think we need to be asking what I think his original hearers would have been asking themselves and what we should be asking ourselves if we have let ourselves get offended enough at Jesus' words. Ask yourself not in what way, but in what world? In what world are these, are these things true? In what world is it true that the poor are blessed? That mourners are happy, that the gentle souls of the world inherit the land? Because it's not this world. There's no way. When it, what Jesus is getting at here, he's not trying to talk about the end of feudalism or, or some great political movement. He's talking about a new world altogether. To a whole crowd of people living in a world of poverty and mourning, Jesus tells them there is another reality. Up until this point, Jesus has been traveling around, healing the sick and proclaiming, chapter 4 tells us, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And I want you to recognize this is that same message, just explained further, just expounded upon. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. To quote Beatner, the kingdom of God is so close we can almost reach out with our hands and touch it. It is so close that it almost reaches out and takes us by the hand. When I hear things like the poor are thriving, the gentle folks are inheriting the land, and the mourners are made happy again, I think that's not real, that's not true. But what Jesus is daring us to believe is that there is a place, a world, another reality in which all of these things are very real. And not only that, not only is there a place where these things are true, it is so close that you can touch it. There is a kingdom in which the merciful, grateful, pure of heart are allowed to rule as kings. And happy is the kingdom over which the pure of heart reigns. Maybe none of this is real. It isn't true in our world, but maybe our world isn't quite as real as we thought our world was. 
Maybe our world is less real and less true than the one that Jesus is talking about. And it's so close, this kingdom of God, that we can reach out and touch it. It is so close that it keeps breaking through into our world, like rays of light shining through dilapidated walls into a dark room into which, in which we have been living. My entire life, I've enjoyed reading fairy tales. All the best ones start in our world. The Narnia series starts on a train out of war-torn London. Harry Potter starts in an abusive foster home. And all the Grimm's tales start on the edge of the forest of the sea. And everyone in all of these stories is just hoping beyond hope that there's something else in the world, maybe that we've missed, something else to life than all of this difficulty and sadness. And then they find some way to reach out and touch this other world. Or rather, that other world finds them. And then their life is filled with adventure and good always wins, and the people of good heart are always rewarded in the end. And by the time you finish reading these stories, you wish the worlds were swapped, or at least I do. And you could go live in the world that's so different from our own. And this is where we're going to circle back to those words in spirit from verse 3. Because even though we, all, we constantly misunderstand them, they are so important. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I realized in my preparation for this sermon that I have understood, I have misunderstood this verse my entire life. I spent a long time looking at the language, getting into the nitty gritty on it. I always thought this verse refer, referred to spiritually impoverished folks, but the grammar of it leads me to think differently. The phrase in spirit doesn't speak to a different kind of poverty, spiritual poverty, that perhaps is more virtuous than the gritty difficult, often immoral, urban poverty that we see every day here in our city. Instead, this little phrase speaks of a different place, a kingdom, in which all of those people, in which our world are almost of no account, are considered greatly important, powerful, influential. If I switch up the syntax a bit, I think you'll hear it. Blessed in spirit are the poor. The poor thrive in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, those who mourn are comforted, not with a pat on the shoulder, or in platitudes, but in reality, all of the sad things which they are mourning come untrue. Everyone who hungers and thirsts here for the sake of righteousness, the father who skips a meal to make sure his children eat enough that night, at God's table they are seated first. And so often, as he so often does throughout the rest of the book of Matthew, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, he's not describing actions which we can do and win the blessings of God. He's describing a kingdom with a value set that is flipped completely upside down from every kingdom we've ever known here on earth. And the practical takeaway here is not to seek out hunger or thirst or poverty any more than we should seek out persecution as Christians. I mourn when I read headlines like this week about Christians seeking to obey this passage who sought out hunger and starvation believing they would be more blessed in Christ for it. The practical takeaway is to seek first the kingdom of God with its value set completely flipped over from ours. Seek mercy and meekness and purity and peace. Even if in doing so, in the midst of our broken world, you will face these difficulties, and you will. You don't have to seek them out. They will come to you. But you'll be blessed in the midst of these pursuits if you seek the kingdom. In other words, finding the kingdom isn't about divesting yourself of things which you know to be the good gifts of God. Rather, it's about finding the kingdom. Finding the kingdom is about recognizing the incredible worth of what is offered in Christ and allowing the other good things of this world to grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. Treating wealth and good food and reputation as though they were of little account, and treating the poor and the hungry and persecuted as though, or I'm sorry, treating wealth and food and reputation as though they were of little account uh, is not the same thing as treating the poor and hungry and the persecuted as though they are eternal sons of God and residents of his kingdom. And the wildest part of what Jesus teaches and what Matthew believes again is just how close this kingdom is to our lives today. For Matthew, and I would argue for Jesus as well, these are not purely spiritual realities. Again, I keep harping on that because we so easily slip into that. Because while they are true in the spirit, that truth is real enough that it breaks into and covers our world. Every time I experience loss, I am really comforted in this life knowing that that loss is not as permanent as it seems, or as real as it seems. Its undoing is even now at hand. We can almost reach out and touch it. So I'd invite you this morning to believe in a world that is more real than this one. One which will eventually change everything in this one. A world in which the poor thrive and the mourners are comforted. A world in which the meek and the humble people of the world own everything, and not those who are grieved for gain. A world in which those who are hungry and thirsty are at last satisfied. Where the merciful receive mercy, instead of being used as doormats, and the pure, peaceful people rule over everyone instead of those who would take power by force. That world is more real than our world, and it's closer than you think. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for crossing heaven and earth and going into the desert of our wanderings, Lord, in order to bring us truth. God, truth, which is the bedrock and foundation of both our lives and our freedom. Lord, I pray that in a world uh, that is filled with chaos, Lord, that we would seek out your peace. Lord, I pray that we would be people of mercy. God, gentle and humble, even if that means we have to face some of the harsh realities of this world. God, we will do so gladly in your name and much more. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. <clears throat> I would encourage you in some way to respond. I would encourage you to stand and sing or to sit and pray. You can come pray with me, but respond in some way to the hearing of the Word of God.
Peace be with you, Pat. Thanks, Doc.